I'm Frank Andorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Welcome to another edition of Solar Speaks, Solar Power World's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. Today we're talking to Brad Matson, CEO of Siva Power, formerly known up until last week as Selexant. The transition has been about two years in the making with the goal of creating a path to 40 cents per watt solar power along with an unprecedented production scale. Brad, welcome to the program. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Tell our listeners about Selexant and why you decided to take it and transform it into Siva Power. It's actually a fairly interesting story. Selexant was coming up in the solar industry around the same time as companies like Solyndra. And actually, we were a little bit behind some of the other companies. That turned out to be good news, as many of the companies were really racing off to scale manufacturing production, we really had a chance to pause. And what happened to the other companies at Gale is fairly well known in the press. A lot of them withered and died in the face of Chinese overcapacity. Just a huge amount of capacity came in place. The prices dropped precipitously, and a lot of them really couldn't compete. We had a chance to stop, take a look, and say, wow, most of these companies were founded on the premise to get to a dollar a watt. That doesn't matter when the competition's now selling at 60 cents a watt. So we actually canceled our production plans to go into build a 100 megawatt plant in Oregon. We tripled the R&D budget and we spent the last two years figuring out how to get to a whole new level of cost structure, which was 40 cents a watt was our target. And frankly, we think that almost no one else in the industry can get there because they were founded many years ago on technologies to help them get to a dollar watt. You really have to re-examine everything if you want to get to this new, very low cost level. So that became the new company wherein we changed almost everything to put it in context. We were a CAD-TEL, which is the material we were depositing, film material, roll-to-roll company depositing on stainless steel substrate. Now we're doing co-evaporated digs on glass substrate. So it really was a complete reinvention. We didn't pivot. <laughs> it was more like a somersault in terms of the drastic change. And we really thought it's time to give us a new name. It's a completely new company, new technology. So we thought a new name and rebranding appropriate in that case. Many companies have talked about lowering the production costs for solar power. It's one of the big drum beats that you hear at every conference that you attend. What makes SIVA think it can do what other companies haven't been able to accomplish yet? The combination of two things, Frank. One is you really have to get pretty high efficiency. And so in the world of thin film, efficiencies have been low in some cases. You look at amorphous silicon, that's probably why that technology has been dying out. In CAD-TEL, it's also challenged on efficiency. But what's really clear is SIGS has set almost all the thin film efficiency record. And so it's a matter of selecting the best material technology, which is SIGS, to get the highest efficiency. And using the right method of deposition, too, there's so many ways you deposit this material. So you have to select the correct method so that we can maximize efficiency, and I think that we've done that. But in addition, there's another step that's probably more relevant in our differentiation of SIVA to the rest of the company. We're doing it really at unprecedented scale. And to give you a context for that, most people measure production lines when they're building a production line in terms of its output. And so in solar, a traditional crystal and silicon production line might have an output of 25, 30 megawatts a year. That's how they coined that term in terms of output. Our smallest production line, the one that we're building now will be our first pilot line, is 300 megawatts. So we can't build it smaller than that. That scale is really the key to achieving the lowest cost. It is 10 times the capacity of a single production line for a silicon solar cell line. Explain your technology. How does it differ from traditional silicon PV and why does that matter? In traditional silicon PV, the substrate has stayed the same for a decade. 
very much because it will crack and there's problems in processing it. So really the beautiful thing about thin film is that you can scale the substrate size. Some people do it, as I mentioned, the roll-to-roll technology I mentioned before. They do it with rolls, one-meter-wide rolls of aluminum or stainless steel, and they deposit on that, so it's a huge substrate. Or you deposit, as First Solar does, on plate glass, and these substrates can be arbitrarily large. I mean, just like the flat panel display industry, you could deposit on a very large substrate. And I think this is kind of a manufacturing technology as opposed to a processing technology. But this is the key differential in terms of allowing you to reduce the cost because you can scale in a way that you can't with silicon. I'm particularly fascinated that SIVA is talking about building the factory of the future. What does that mean exactly? How will that help lower the overall cost of installed solar? And what advantages does that provide to installers? I'm using this term because in any industry that's young, and solar is still a fairly young and immature growing industry, you start out the first wave of products uh, coming out of the, kind of the hobby phase, and you figure out how do we do this best. And in this early phase, people were really thinking about the megawatt area. As I mentioned, the production lines were fairly small, 25, 30 megawatts. But now the industry has grown from where the global demand years ago may have been three, five gigawatts. The demand this year will be over 30 gigawatts. So global demand has increased dramatically recently. And we're really thinking that these factories shouldn't be designed for megawatt capability, but for gigawatt capability. So this is really thinking through the whole design of the manufacturing process, the factory floor, and how do you get really high speed? We really think that the factory of the future is going to be more the gigawatt scale, not the megawatt scale. And the manufacturing processes and equipment have to be designed in alignment with that kind of scale capability, and that's what we've done. If you're going to ramp up to gigawatt as opposed to megawatt scale, what exactly does that mean? How would the factory look to somebody who is used to certain types of factory production lines? There's a couple things. One is, as you're trying to get the cost down, you can't really afford to have very complicated manufacturing processes that have 20, 30, 40 steps. You want to simplify the manufacturing process so there are fewer production steps. And that's key in the design of your solar cell to minimize the complexity. What we find in a lot of offerings in solar cell industry is they've gone to very complex cell structures to try to increase the efficiency. That's okay because your efficiency goes up. But if efficiency goes up 10%, but your cost goes up 50%, the consumer loses out on that because you really have to have it, the performance and the cost be equivalent. So what we're really looking at is probably simpler process flows. So they'll have less tools, less pieces of equipment in the factory, fewer processing steps, and the factory has to be designed for that. But probably more importantly, as I mentioned before, it'd be the scale. If we take a 25 megawatt line that's going to be built into this factory, but you want to have a gigawatt factory because the demand is in the multiple gigawatts. I'd say the leading companies now, like First Solar, has two gigawatts capacity. Ying Li, the leader in China, has three gigawatts capacity. How many production lines do you have to have in that factory? If it's only 25 megawatts, you'd need 40 production lines just to get one gigawatt. And we really think that we're not going to see that in the future, that there'll be 40 lines in parallel. It's just not the way most industries scale. What we're thinking is that's going to happen is the the line themselves have to change, and the equipment, therefore, has to change to enable much higher throughput equipment. So instead of 40, 25 megawatt lines, we think it's much smarter to have just four 250 megawatt lines to make that gigawatt capacity. So the tools will be completely different, and the process flow will be simpler. Are the machines out there now 
to do what you're talking about, or is somebody? Are you going to have to partner with somebody else who's going to be able to produce the machines that will speed up the processes of production? In many cases, the tools are not available. So we're not just inventing a solar cell technology. We're also inventing equipment technology. This has been the case of many of the other semiconductor-related industries. The industry has been driven by new equipment developments throughout history, and I think that's going to happen in solar, too. So in some cases, we have to actually develop the equipment ourselves. In some cases, we could take advantage of developments, for example, in the flat panel display industry I just mentioned. Uh, they're already processing very large sheets of glass and doing the similar kind of processes as we do. So in some cases, we can modify existing equipment that are available for these other industries, and sometimes we have to develop our own. Now, this is important from the business model point of view because it's a divergence from the standard silicon PV factories, which just buy equipment on the open market. Everyone has access to the same equipment. And in fact, the key there is between silicon solar cell manufacturers, there's almost no differentiation. They all buy their wafers from Vacker or MEMC. They all buy their equipment from Applied Materials or Central Therm, and basically they're all the same. So this is one of the reasons why the industry is plagued with low gross margins and low profitability, because there's absolutely no differentiation between these suppliers. So key to our business model, the factor that we're building, this factory of the future, is going to be a specialized one where we control the equipment set, and therefore people cannot copy this factory. And I think that'll be important to uh, protecting our profitability. You know i got to ask this question. The industry's been talking about reliability for the last 11 months. It's been the hot topic in the industry. What are your quality assurance processes going to be in this factory? Oh, I think those are absolutely vital. In fact, I think the industry is going to shift, and I think the focus on reliability is absolutely warranted. In the mad rush to put in more production capacity, with a lot of second-tier and third-tier producers coming online in their push to reduce cost. You cut corners here, you cut corners there. People are using less material, thinner this, thinner that. And I think the issue could be there is an impact on reliability. I think in the future, although today it's cost, 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 whoever has the lowest cost kind of wins, I think reliability is going to be right up there with cost in terms of one of the key driving forces in the industry. And so that has to be embedded into your design, not just in quality control in your, your manufacturing process, but in the design of the device itself so it's inherently reliable in terms of robust, thick enough, heavy enough, strong enough to withstand uh, reliability over a long period of time. So I think both of those are really key. But you just build them into your factory design and your device design. That's going to have to be provable reliability. People aren't going to just be able to take your word for it that they're reliable. There's accelerated tests, and that's going to be one of the challenges in the industry. There are some accelerated tests, but there's nothing that can tell you if a product's going to be reliable for 25 years. So I think those are going to be challenges, and there's a normal adoption cycle. Typically with a new solar company, what you have to do is go to the early adopters, and they'll be building large fields of solar, and they'll say, okay, we'll put in one megawatt here and we'll test it. And you just have to realize the adoption cycle in solar takes that amount of time. It might have to be in the ground six months to one year before you can be reliable. It's not a matter of certification. You can get certification. Even then, they want to see it in the ground and running for a while before you're going to see large-scale adoption, and that just has to be built into your, your, your planning. You've said that SIG technology is the only viable path to installed costs of lower than 40 cents per watt. What other technologies did you compare that to, and what in your research led you to that conclusion? When we tripled the R&D budget when I came on board, we really did look at a lot of different things. So we looked at 
material systems, various ways to deposit those materials, different manufacturing architectures and device designs as well. And in that, we looked at gallium arsenide, we looked at indium phosphide, CADTEL, we looked at SIGs, we even looked at CZTS. And essentially, it comes down to a, a couple few points. One is, you really have to, in order to hit 40 cents a watt, you have to have pretty good efficiency. That's really key. And the other thing is, when you look at the manufacturing process, you have to pick a simpler process flow that doesn't add in so many processing steps, so many pieces of equipment, so much expensive materials that build up the cost of the device. What we found is that the SIGS material is really unique in that it is a thin film material, so it inherently has lower cost, but it has basically almost the same efficiency in production as silicon. And in fact, what's recently happened just about a month back with new results out of Europe, researchers pushed the efficiency of SIGS up over 20%, in fact, at 20.8%. And that number's significant because multi-crystalline silicon, or sometimes called polycrystalline silicon, the max it's ever achieved in an R&D lab is 20.4%. So for the first time ever, SIGS actually surpassed silicon on efficiency, at least polycrystalline silicon, which is the bulk of the market today. You take the main runner in silicon and you say, wow, SIGS has now passed that. So you can you have the hope in manufacturing. It'll take a while for manufacturing to catch up with the lab, but now you have the prospect that in manufacturing, you can have the same efficiencies as silicon, but at the low cost of thin film. And that's the dream come true. The efficiency of silicon, but at the cost structure of thin film. And I think SIGS is the only material that really offers that prospect of having the best of both worlds, high efficiency and low cost. Is that why you believe the industry is consolidating around SIGS? That's true. You see that in the United States with the U.S. government, with the PVMC back east in Albany, saying that's the process we want to reduce to manufacturing. I was in Beijing a few weeks back, and a research group in Beijing even said, in China this is unique to hear this, that they think SIGS is the future in China. And, of course, you have in Japan with Solar Frontier is the largest SIGS manufacturer in the world. They don't like cadmium in Japan, although they like thin film. They worry about CADTEL because of the cadmium content. So SIGS is growing in, in Japan like crazy. So it seems like in, in several of these leading countries, China, J- Japan, United States, that SIGS is the preferred thin film technology. So I think that might be the technology of the future. You have a technical advisory board. Who's on it, and what does the advisory board bring to your company? What happened is because of the industry growing, but at the same time, because of vertical integration and consolidation, a lot of companies are falling out. They can't compete. But that means there's a unique opportunity to pull together some of the best people in the industry. So we're taking advantage of this short-term issue in, in solar to try to collect the brain trust, the best people in the world in thin film and specifically in SIGs. We just formed this technical advisory board to bring in more of the talent around the world. And it's led by our CTO, Marcus Beck, who is considered by many to be the number one SIGs technologist from a point of view of co-evaporation. That's is the technology he's done a lot of pioneering work in, and he's considered by many of you the number one coal evaporation SIGS expert in the world. Now we brought in Rommel Nuvi, Dr. Nuvi from NREL. He's considered a patriarch in the industry, has joined our board as well. The third member is John Benner. John is also a graduate from NREL. A lot of people that are the leading technologists have come out of NREL, but he is currently running the Bay Area PV Consortium. This is the group in California where they're combining the best researchers at Stanford and the best researchers at Berkeley to advance the state of the art of PV technology, and he leads that group. So he is another world-known PV technologist. So I think we have the cornerstones of three of the leaders in the world in this technology as our founding members. It 
people want to find out more about SIVA, what's the best place for them to find information, whether they want to invest or whether they just want to find out more about your technology? Well, of course, you could always contact me, but the website is sivapower.com, and you can contact us, of course, through the portal there on the website or contact myself. Well, thanks for joining us. You'll, you'll keep us in the loop as your project moves forward and as you get closer to having the first products roll off the line? Absolutely. We've been speaking with Brad Matson, CEO of SIVA Power, formerly known up until last week as Selexant. That transition has been going on for two years now with the goal of creating a path to 40 cents per watt solar power along with an unprecedented production scale. This has been Solar Speaks, Solar Power World Magazine's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. I'm Frank Endorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Until next time.